If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Today's scripture is from Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Charlotte. Good morning to you all. Nice to see some sun. In 2018, a survey found that Americans were more comfortable talking about marriage problems, mental illness, drug addiction, race, sex, politics, and religion than they were money. Men and women across all generations, I think particularly the baby boomers, ranked household earnings, retirement savings, and debt as the most taboo things to talk about. And we have preacher Jesus, who apparently failed to get the memo because in his great Sermon on the Mount to disciples then and to disciples now, he takes us headlong into this most taboo of topics. Money, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus begins. As one New Testament scholar noted, a better translation might be stop storing up treasures on earth. What is treasure? Well, in Jesus' day, there wasn't a lot of banking happening, and so treasures were normally goods, currency, kept in your house in some safe space. So Jesus is talking about possessions for sure, but I think we can safely assume that treasure means more than possessions. Treasure is what we treasure. Treasure is where the heart is. Our treasure tells us what we value, what we love, where our hopes lie, and what we place our trust and security. Uh, you can put up the first slide. This is a, my treasure map that you guys get to see. Uh, this is Herbster. My house is right here. If you get off on Herbster, you'll see my driveway. Uh, the, the school in Crossbones is lots of toys in the yard you'll want to watch out for. And you'll want to move into my, the northwest corner of my garage. And bam, can you put the next slide up? You will find my treasure. <laughs> you will find an ice axe that I once used to climb a snow route on the middle Teton in the Grand Tetons in Wyoming when I was in college. You'll find my snowshoes, which I have engaged in all kinds of adventure with, including once actually falling through Beaver Creek with my kids. That was an adventure. 
you will find my Dana Design backpack that has been all over the world. You will find my treasure. You will find my stuff. You will get a peek into what I love and what drives me. Jesus calls this treasure, but it's not good treasure. It's not the kind of treasure you want to store up. Why? Because moths and vermin could get in and eat up my Dana Design backpack because my snowshoes are in fact rusting and because now that this is out on YouTube, someone in Columbiana could steal my ice axe. Yeah, could happen. Might be happening right now. Some of you are thinking this guy has no idea what treasure is. Like that stuff is junk. Nobody is going to want to steal that stuff. But here's the thing about treasure. Often what we're convinced is treasure, what we're convinced is really valuable, someone else can see right through. They can see that it's not treasure. Let me give you an example. Have you ever worked to clean out a house after someone dies or somebody is downsizing, and you get to go into their house and see lots of treasure? A lot of treasure, which is in fact not treasure. I listened to an interview with a guy once who had a, a business of going in and uh, I think helping people downsize and do estate sales. And I remember him saying that everybody thinks they've got stuff that's worth so much. And in reality, most of it's not. We hold on to all this stuff that we're convinced is worth something. We're convinced is treasure, when in reality, most of it is worthless. And in our passage today, Jesus comes up to us, and he takes us and he says, let's go for a walk around your house. Let's look at some of your treasure. And the first place Jesus takes us to is the heirloom china set, passed down for generations, that one day your kids are going to be so excited to inherit and Jesus turns to you and says, that's going to end up at the way station. And it's going to be sold on a day when things go for half price. And then Jesus takes you out to your garage and looks at your beloved motorcycle and your beloved car and your beloved tractor and your beloved tools. And Jesus says, that will all one day be in the scrap heap. And Jesus takes us back inside and we throw out all our retirement account statements on the table to say, what about this treasure? And Jesus chuckles because Jesus knows where inflation is going, that it will eat a lot of that up. Your treasure, friends, in other words, is doomed. It is wasting away as we speak. The rust is coming for it. If the rust doesn't get it, the vermin are going to get it. If the vermin don't get it, the way station is going to get it. If the way station doesn't get it, inflation is going to get it. And if inflation doesn't get it, the grave will. To riff off Martin Luther, your treasure has three trustees, rust, moths, and thieves. Those are the trustees of your treasure. Your treasure, friends, is doomed. Not only that, but your treasure hunting guide is a fraud. Look at verse 24. Let's go to the next slide. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us today, those of us who confess to be disciples. And he says, you have this choice. 
You can either serve God or you can serve money. You can't serve both. Let's be honest. Who who of us is going to stand up and say, I think I'll choose money. I think I'd like to serve money. Money sounds like money could be a good master. I think I'll choose money. None of us say that. I've never heard a follower of Jesus ever say that. What we hope is there's door number three. There's God, there's mammon, and there's some kind of hybrid of God and money together. And Jesus says, no, make your choice. Does it work that way? You've got a conflict of interest. I was reading this week that for the first time ever in the Super Bowl, a mother will have two sons playing against each other. One for the Philadelphia Eagles and one for the Kansas City Chiefs. This is what we call a conflict of interest. Because every time that mom cheers for one son, she's cheering against the other. And you can imagine what will happen that day, this tug of war that will happen in this mother as she's pulled in two different directions. The solution in my mind to that problem, is to make sure you always have one son who plays for the Cleveland Browns. And you will never (laughs) have that problem of two sons meeting in the Super Bowl. That's the reality of the situation that Jesus is presenting to us. There's a conflict of interest, money and God. And if you split the difference, if you choose to split the difference, you always choose money because God will not take a split allegiance. Think about this word serve. This is what Jesus says. Think about this. Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. Serve money? How do I serve money? Money's just a thing. Money's just a tool. I use money. Money doesn't use me. I possess money. Money doesn't possess me. If anything, money serves me, not the other way around. And Jesus comes up and says, no, no, no. That's not the way it works. You think money is serving you, but you have it backwards. You're the one serving money. See, see what Jesus is doing is he's personifying money. He's talking about money as if money is a person. And we actually do this sometimes. We sometimes... Uh, For example, say money talks. Money doesn't actually talk, but we use that expression because actually money does talk. To Jesus, money isn't this neutral thing. It's a master. And like all masters, it has work for us to do. See, at first we think that money is serving us. We think money is going to give us freedom. We think money is going to give us power and security. We think money is going to remove fear. And money can do that to some degree. It can give us freedom. It can give us nice things and security. It can remove some fear. But along the way, money will always turn the tables on us. Because money, in fact, does talk. It tells us what to do. We tell money, we want to use you for good. We're going to accumulate you so that we can do good And money says, no, you can't do good with me right now. You've got to make sure you've got enough for yourself before you can do good for others. And so we cling to money. We want money to give us freedom. We want to be with our kids more. We want to serve Jesus more. If we just had a little bit more money, we could do those things better. And money says, no, 
Right now, you've got to work harder. Right now, you've got to stay in the office longer. Right now, you need more of me. And when you finally have enough, then you can spend time with your kids. But there never comes enough. In the meantime, our relationships are being destroyed by money. Money promises us if we just get enough in our bank accounts and in our retirement accounts, we will finally feel safe and secure. We won't be fearful. But the problem is no matter how much we have in those accounts, it's never enough. We never feel safe. Money is always reminding us you don't have enough. You're not safe. You're not secure. You need more. We thought we possessed money, but in reality, money possesses us. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus says. Make a choice. But how do we know what master we're serving? We've got to follow the treasure map. Go back to verse 21. Jesus says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Also, The acid test is not who we say we serve. Nobody says they serve money. No. The acid test is what do we actually do with our money? That's the treasure map. That marks the spot. How we spend our money is the clearest and most unbiased picture of where our actual treasure will be found. If we get out our bank statements and we get out our credit card statements and we put them on the table and we see where our money's going, that marks the spot. That's where our treasure lies. For those of us who are wealthy, this is a challenge. And just to kind of orient ourselves, um, if you have a household income of 25000 and there are two of you in the house, you are richer than 85% of people in the world. So that might not be all of us, but that would probably be most of us. I think one of the hardest lessons for us to learn as followers of Jesus is this. Money and wealth and possessions are obstacles to following Jesus. I think this is hard. I'll speak for myself. I grew up in the church. I think this is hard because maybe not you all, but this is mostly the opposite message of what I heard growing up. How many times have you heard money is neither good nor bad, it's a tool? Money and things are not bad. It's the love of money and things that are bad. It's not our possessions that are the problem. It's our heart. It's our attitude. The only problem is that that's just not what Jesus taught. If you turn out, it turns out if you read the Gospels, Jesus does have quite a bit to say about money, but it's not that. Let's look at a few places. Matthew 19, 23, Truly I tell you, it is hard. The operative word there is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. From Luke's gospel, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. It's all Jesus' words. Luke 12, 15. Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus sees wealth and possessions as a barrier, even as a danger to following him. We do read about disciples who are wealthy in the Gospels, and at least as, as far as I can tell, at every point, those disciples are using their resources to advance Jesus' ministry in the kingdom of God. 
I don't think Jesus is denying the value of work or profit. Jesus' ministry was supported, we read, by women. It was supported by labor and profits. We can do good with money. We have examples in the Bible of people doing good with money. It is good and right for us to have the means to support ourselves. It is good and right for us to use the gifts that God has given us in our work and to provide for our families. I don't want to deny any of that. But I've got to, because that's where the text is taking us, I've got to keep coming back and saying, wealth is a danger to disciples of Jesus. The accumulation of wealth typically moves us away from God. Let me show you this in a few different ways. One is on a super macro level. You can put up the next slide. Here's a chart. You're not going to be able to see it very well, but this is from the Pew Research Center. It looks at countries, and this is the uh, per capita gross domestic product, and then this is the um, uh, amount they pray. So what you'll see in the United States is a little bit of an outlier. What you'll basically see is the less money, the more people uh, pray. So as you get down here, you've got more and more and more and more money. You've got less and less people praying. And this is, you can put up the next slide. This is what the Pew Research uh, says. These findings are broadly aligned with other data that suggests that a country's level of wealth is inversely proportional to its level of religious commitment as measured by survey responses about daily prayer, belief in God, attendance at religious services, and stated importance of religion in one's life. Listen to this. In other words, people in poor countries tend to be more religious than people in wealthier countries. Think about our own tradition. Many of you think about the explosion in wealth that you've seen in your lifetime. Most of us possess assets that our parents or grandparents would never have dreamed about. And some of that is good. I don't want to romanticize every challenge that your parents and grandparents faced. There is undeniable good that has come through wealth creation in our country and in the world. And over the last generations, we have benefited from that. I don't deny that. Here's my question for you. Is that moving us closer to God? Is that moving us closer to God? We look back at our parents and grandparents. Is all that wealth accumulation driving us deeper and deeper into the heart of God? Jesus knows we need our daily bread, and he knows that wealth poses a danger to us. How does wealth do that? How could wealth be dangerous? Remember the, the, the story about the, Jesus tells about the seed that's all scattered on the ground? There's one that talks about a thorny ground, and he says that wealth and possessions come up and they choke out the word. Right? The more stuff we have, the more treasure on earth we have, the more it's going to sap our time and our energy and our attention. Wealth and possessions really do choke us out. Like, think about it. We buy things, and then we got to spend all this time taking care of those things we buy, and then we spend all that money in, so we've got to use it. So then we got to spend all that money on this thing that we bought. And what we realize is that we at first owned the stuff and then the stuff began to own us. I've experienced that myself. Let me give you another example. The more wealth we have, the less we're going to naturally be dependent on God. 
Wealth, not with everyone, wealth typically tends to make us arrogant and prideful, which is the opposite of poor in spirit and humble. Wealth tends to move us away from people. Go out into often the suburbs, the more money you have, usually the greater the distance between you and your neighbors are. Not always, I mean, that's different for farm, but a lot of times, go into a wealthy area, as you get more money, you separate yourself from people. You also separate yourself from the suffering of other people. As followers of Jesus, we're like, we're baked into who we are as being with other people. We cannot separate ourselves from others. We are made for interdependence, and wealth does the opposite of that. And here's what I want, one more thing. The challenge is when we got a lot of wealth, we got a lot to lose as followers of Jesus. It's harder to take risks for the kingdom of God when we got a lot of treasure built up and we got a lot riding on Jesus' teaching not being what it is. And so we play it safe. What we need to do, friends, is to remove the blinders that, that culture has put us and to be honest, the church has put on us and actually listen to what Jesus is telling us. Money and wealth and possessions pose a real and present danger to us as disciples. Okay, this is the point of the sermon where preacher Jesus needs to say, all right, I just want you to take a deep breath. Because despite of everything I said, you don't actually have to stop pursuing money. And you don't actually have to stop amassing treasure on earth. Everyone can breathe a lot more easier. (laughs) Thankfully, Jesus loves us too much to say that. Because Jesus wants us to tear up the old treasure map and show us where real treasure can be found. Because that's what Jesus is doing here, right? If the only lesson you take from this is your treasure is doomed, this is a fairly hopeless and bleak message and passage. But Jesus doesn't come with a doomsday message. Jesus came to announce the good news of the kingdom of God. And the good news is there's another treasure out there. It's interesting to me that Jesus... Like, he doesn't call earthly treasure junk. He doesn't say, hey, don't store for yourselves junk on earth. (laughs) Jesus knows we're chasing after stuff that has value to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't chase after it. It's treasure to us. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, that's your treasure. There's so much better treasure for you to chase after. Because that stuff you got, it's, it's deteriorating. The vermin are getting it. The rust getting it. Inflation's getting it. I want, to tell, I want to take you on a treasure hunt, and I want to show you treasure that can never deteriorate, that lasts forever. I want to take you and show you treasure that the deepest part of you is hungering for. Jesus doesn't spell out what treasure in heaven is here, but later on in Matthew's gospel, he speaks about inheriting eternal life and of entering into the master's joy. So in some sense, uh, treasure in heaven to me must be something in the future. It must be a future reward. And remember, that that sometimes is like a little weird for us, but Jesus is not opposed to rewards. Like we saw that in all the, about fasting and prayer and giving to the needy. Jesus wants to direct you to the right reward. But I also think the reward starts now. There's a, think about the story about the rich young man. He comes to Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. Um, but, but Jesus says, you've got to sell everything you got and give it to the poor. That's a hard passage, right? It's always like, I'm so glad he was talking to that guy <laughs> and not me. 
But what we almost always miss about that is that Jesus is offering the man real treasure. Because after he tells him to sell everything, he says this, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then Jesus says, and then come follow me. In other words, the man is being offered future treasure. Sell your possessions, treasure in heaven, but you get me. You get to follow the Son of God. You get to hang out with the Son of God. What's better than that? You can't do it. The treasure on earth is just too much. So he walks away sad. And then later on in this passage, Peter says to Jesus, "Uh, we did leave everything for you. Uh, How is this going to work out for us? And Jesus says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive, listen, a hundred times as much in this present age now and in the age to come, eternal life. Again, Jesus is saying, yeah, this is costly. But there's a reward, real treasure. Uh, if, you, if you've been joining us on our congregational discernment meetings, we watched some videos. We watched one last Sunday. And I was really moved by a, a clip we saw last Sunday. And it was a, a man, a fairly young man, reflecting out loud what following Jesus had cost him. And he says this in the video. But as an LGBT person, we cry out to God and say, we have left everything to follow you. All our hopes and dreams for getting married, having a partner, having kids, we've left all of that behind to follow you. And he he smiles in the video and he says, and of course Jesus looks at us lovingly and says that with great sacrifice comes great joy and reward in heaven. This is both beautiful and it's challenging because you don't know, do you know what that does to me when I watch that young man watch, talk about what it's cost him to follow Jesus is it turns it back on me and it says, what are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? Because for too long in the church, we have asked others to heed the hard teachings of Jesus and we have refused to heed them ourselves. We have been quick to ask others to sacrifice for Jesus, and we have been slow to sacrifice ourselves. There is sacrifice in following Jesus, and there is reward. There is treasure. There is real treasure that lasts into eternity. Do you believe Jesus? How do we do this? Application number one. This is going to be really profound. We struggle. That's what I came up with. We struggle. I don't know if this is a hard teaching for you. I've been listening to Preacher Jesus all week, and it's a hard teaching for me. Because this is getting down into the nitty-gritty. This is starting to pierce into my life and ask me, where is your trust really? Is it in wealth and treasure, or is it in Jesus? We struggle. We allow the teaching of Jesus to confront us. We don't ignore it. We don't seek a workaround. We allow the plain words of Jesus to confront us, trusting that Jesus loves us too much not to, not to, not to tell us this. Trusting that Jesus is calling us away from this earthly treasure and this distorted master of money because he wants to show us the right way. He wants to show us the real treasure. He wants us to find the real master God. We trust Jesus. Secondly, we work to figure out what this means in our context. 
Jesus was a single Jewish man in his early 30s who lived in Palestine, who worked as a stonemason, wore sandals, and had no kids. This describes none of us here. We're not going to be able to imitate everything about Jesus. That's not our call. What we are called is not to soften or ignore Jesus' teachings, but to take it seriously and figure out how do we work this out into our own context. The one thing that that will surely mean is we will seek to simplify our lives and our possessions. There's this great story about uh, the elder Cato, uh, who was a Roman statesman, and he had access to all kinds of power and wealth and nice clothes and food, but he lived very frugally because he believed it made him more independent. And at the height of his power, the story goes, Cato was at his home, and men were sent to bribe Cato. And when they got there, they found him in his kitchen boiling turnips. And immediately they knew their mission was futile. A man so satisfied with so little could never be tempted by a bribe. One of the things living simply does is it helps remove the tentacles of wealth and possessions from us so that we are actually free. We seek to live simply not because frugality is an end in itself. We seek to live simply because that moves us into greater dependence on God and so that we have stuff to share with others. Right? We got to got to remind ourselves here friends The end goal of being frugal is not just so we get more treasure built up. The end goal of finding every deal at Mark's and Aldi's and everywhere else is not so we have more treasure. I like a good deal too, all right? I love the good deals. Like if you want to point me where the cheap eggs are right now, that's fine. Yeah, you all know where the cheap eggs are, don't you? The problem is that's not an end in itself. We do that so we're more dependent on God and so we have more to share with others. Third, we don't do this alone. If we're going to be a community that takes risks with our assets and our money, we're going to have to be in a community that's generous with each other. We're going to have to be in a community that really does care for each other. And we're going to need to be in a community that helps us figure out when are we being greedy? This is going to be hard, but let me... Put something out here. It's really hard to know when you're being greedy. Have you ever heard someone say, I struggle with the sin of greed? I've never heard that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. I've heard lots of, you know, a lot of people confess sins. I've never heard anybody say, how you doing? I'm struggling with greed. <laughs> Why don't we say that? Because it's hard to know when you're struggling with greed. Most of us don't think we're being greedy. Right, because we can always find someone else who is being a lot less, a lot more greedy than us, and has a whole lot more than us. We need help. Not long ago, our former regional pastor Cheryl Lee was uh, told about a store, a church she heard about in Elkhart, Indiana, where every year each household would bring their annual family budget to the gathered church community to discern if it reflected the values they longed to embody. I'm not naive enough enough to think that you guys, that most people will not balk at that. But my question is, why? Why would we find that so terrifying? Because we don't trust each other? Because we don't want people to see how we actually spend our money? Why? Why are we so afraid? Why is this so taboo? Why have we bought into cultures 
narrative that money is something you can't talk about. That is not Jesus' narrative. We need, we need other disciples to help us figure out, am I being greedy? Help me figure this out. One final thing, we need to spend more time pondering the future. When I was preaching through Philippians a while back, I encouraged you to memorize the Christ hymn in chapter 2, where we see this stunning picture of every knee bowed before Jesus Christ. Folks, that's where things are headed. That's where we're going. And trust me, if you spend some time pondering every knee bowed before Jesus Christ our Lord, and you reflect on what's coming in the new heavens and the new earth, all that earthly treasure looks like junk. We ponder the end of the story because the treasures that await us in the life to come, not so that we can escape the now, but so we can look at this stuff and we're like, man, that stuff is junk. The real treasure is there. The real treasure is now with Jesus. All the other stuff is fading away. This is the only thing that lasts. So we can be like the guy in Jesus' parable who's out stumbling around and he stumbles into a field, and then turns out in the field there's treasure. And after he finds a treasure, he's so overjoyed that he sells everything he has, and he buys that field. Because he's found the one thing worth pursuing, the real treasure. May we be like that man.